0: Hey, it's summertime in the Boundary Waters. Thanks for stopping by and checking out the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Support for this episode comes from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters.
1: Hi, I'm Claire Shirley, the owner of Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. I'm here with my husband and business partner, Dan. Hi, Claire. Hey, so Dan, we took over Sawbill from my parents, Bill and Cindy Hansen, about four years ago now. What would you say are some of the things that make Sawbill Canoe Outfitters unique?
2: Well, the biggest thing that jumps to mind is our location. We're located on the southern edge of the BWCA, kind of midway between Ely and the Gunflint Trail. Our outfitter is right at the Sawbill Lake entry point at the end of the scenic Sawbill Trail that starts in Tofty. The end of the Sawbill Trail still has that remote wilderness feeling. There's no cabins, no motors. We do have a 50-site campground, a general store, a gift shop, shower house and laundry facilities, as well as a robust outfitting department. It's a great place to launch a canoe trip, whether it's for a day or for a week.
1: I agree, but I'm probably biased. Uh, What's your favorite thing about being an outfitter?
2: I love the flexibility that we have to help groups of all different experience levels get into the BWCA. Whether you're a beginner who needs all the gear and food packed up with personal instruction on all aspects of canoe camping, or an experienced boundary water traveler who just needs to pick up a canoe, we've got you covered. And we get to meet all sorts of interesting people. What about you? What's your favorite thing about running Sawbill?
1: You know, I love that I get to continue my family's tradition. My grandparents founded Sawbill in 1957, and after they retired, my folks ran it for about 30 years. Now, here we are in our 63rd year of business, and we're the third generation at the helm. I feel so fortunate to be able to continue introducing people to the Boundary Waters. So many of our customers have become like family, and I'm really lucky. I get to keep continuing those relationships. If you're interested in learning more about us, we have a ton of information and a fun blog on our website, sawbuild.com. Okay, that's it from us. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. This is the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. This is the wilderness that Dave and I were
3: both introduced to as kids, you know, our first wilderness camping experience were in the Boundary Waters. And in summer, you wake up, you swim through the lake, you have breakfast. And you can relax, you can go paddling, you can go hiking.
2: We've done this trip before to Horseshoe Lake and I remember catching walleye there
4: before.
3: I went on a canoe trip in the Boundary Waters and it's, it was really cool, it was my first time.
5: The route from Ram Lake back to Poplar Lake with, with no packs, with, with only a day pack, uh,
3: we take it in one day. Well, you can look to Venus, you can look to Mars. I will set my sights by the northern star, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights. Oh, and in the deep dark blue come the northern lights.
5: Welcome to episode 18 of the WTIP Boundary Waters Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Baxley. And I'm Joe Fredericks. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. You know, Joe and I have been reflecting on the power of the wilderness, as we often do on this podcast, Uh, especially the power of the wilderness to just take whatever we're bringing to it and make it even more meaningful. You know, sometimes, Matthew, you and I are
0: so excited about our trips to the Boundary Waters. I mean, we talk about it for weeks, sometimes even months in advance, planning the trip. We have so much fun. Just getting organized, and there's a lot of celebration involved with our trips. And celebration meaning joyous, good times in the in the wilderness. We know what's going to be coming, or we hope. Anyway, that it's going to be good times. That's what a lot of our trips are, are rooted in.
5: Yeah, uh, typically a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, despite the weather or the lack of sunshine at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we work pretty hard just because we're so excited. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's
0: another element, too, uh, particularly, Matthew, when I go on a solo trip, that I'm uh, going to be dealing with whatever is happening in my life, the rawness of, of how I'm actually doing, whether I'm even aware of that or not, before I head out on the trip. Uh, because you're then facing what you bring to the wilderness is, I think, how you describe it best, Matthew.
5: Right. I mean, the wilderness is really a mirror in many ways. Uh, Sometimes I think about that very literally when the water's like glass and reflecting, you know, this picture-perfect image back up into the sky. And uh, just like that, the wilderness reflects back to each of us whatever it is we bring to it.
0: And so with that in mind, uh, that fits right into the context of episode 18 here on the podcast. We are going to hear from two people, uh, their stories. Are, are both are amazing. They both have a, a true love of wilderness. And we will start with Eric Dickus and his story. Uh, Matthew came to us through the podcast, actually, is how we found out about Eric. And he lives in Omaha. His wife, Fallon, is a, a listener of the podcast. Both the, Their whole family is, actually. Contact us through the podcast. We'll be hearing more about that. But it's a pretty emotional uh, story that we're going to hear. And and in addition to our conversation with Eric, he actually recorded some audio on his trip, Matthew, that we're going to share, a trip from uh,
5: May 2019. Right, so these audio diaries uh, Eric recorded for the purposes of this podcast, and I think to a certain degree for his own purposes and working through his story while in the wilderness. Um, and, And so we get to a firsthand glimpse into the power of his experience while it was happening. And then later in the episode, we're gonna be hearing from Stephanie Pearsons. Uh, You'll hear more about her extensive uh, journalistic background in that interview, and she'll speak about her powerful relationship to the wilderness as well, and and how the loss of her father and her own writing uh, all weave together in a, a really fascinating story. Uh, and make sure you stick around to the very end mm-hmm. and listen all the way through because we've got a special gift to share with you all at the end of the episode today.
0: It's a, it's a musical gift is uh, all the information that we're going to share with you and it, other than the fact that it's definitely worth sticking around for. So it's a great episode. It's a pretty powerful episode that we've uh, got here. Episode 18 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. We're glad that you're here with us today. Let's jump right in. And joining us now here on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast, all the way from Omaha, Nebraska, Eric Dickis. Eric, how's it going, man? It's going great. How are you doing? You know, fantastic. We've been following this story, Eric, uh, for our uh, listeners here on the podcast for quite a while now. Your, your wife, Fallon, had contacted Matthew and I at the podcast and said, My husband uh, is coming up for his first ever Boundary Waters trip. We've been listening to the podcast as a family, you and your two boys and Fallon, in preparation for this trip. I guess Fallon wanted to learn more about the region, the Boundary Waters. She was curious about it, maybe a little bit anxious, too, uh, from what we were picking up on. But she just wanted to learn more about where you're going. And I think a lot of that, from what uh, I picked up on from Fallon, is that this trip she knew meant so much to you because of, uh, you know, the passing of, of your father and uh, that he was kind of the mastermind of this trip as it was starting. And so there was a, a lot of emotional uh, connection to this trip for, for her and certainly for you. And now it's uh, this trip ha- has been done. You've made it up to the Boundary Waters. Here you are in, in the WTIP studios and. Eric, I know uh you know this is still very fresh and raw and, and very emotional for you, but uh if you could tell us just a little bit about why you wanted to do this trip. Uh I mentioned here at, at the top that uh, your father passed away and before he was able to do the trip, why did you want to uh just keep that going? Why did you want to still do the trip?
6: Well, for me it was uh my dad had cancer and diagnosed and he bought these canoes from Prague and it was his dream to go up here and do the boundary water trip. And I kept one of the canoes. He bought a solo and a tandem one. And um, I kept the, the double canoe. And just wanted to fulfill his dream that we're going to we're gonna go together. All of us, me, my brother-in-law, and my dad. We're going to leave September 30th. And that's the day he died. So we never made it up. But I told him in his, when he's dying. And I said, well, dad, if you can't make it up either way, I'll, I'll go up there with you. I'll take you up there and we'll get up there together, you know, in spirit and in mind. And I I accomplished that, you know. A lot of a lot of a lot of people say that they're gonna do things to people when they're on their deathbed and a lot of a lot of times things don't happen, but I'm happy that I did accomplish that.
0: Yeah. And so your father, having never uh been to the boundary waters, but it sounds like he, he knew about it. it. Sounds like Dick knew about the boundary waters. Was he he had what? So like some magazines or he saw some videos or
6: something. How did he know about the boundary waters? Oh, my dad, he, he had a lot of magazines. He did a lot of, a lot of reading, a lot of magazines and a lot of shopping on, you know, the outfitting magazines. And he liked that. He liked the outdoor stuff. He always liked canoeing. He always, that was always his thing when he was back when I was, before I was born, him and my mom, they do a lot of canoeing down the rivers in Nebraska and uh, Missouri, the little Sioux and, lots of rivers and I think this was a dream he always wanted to do that was his the mecca of the canoe capital you know the boundary waters and I had no clue even what it was or what it was about
3: mm-hmm. and he
6: knew more than I did about it cuz he did a lot of research and that's where he wanted to go that's why he invested this money on these canoes and he wanted this is what he wanted to do
0: and so in in August 2017 uh your father Dick was diagnosed with cancer and it sounds like he actually bought these canoes from Braggis and Ely. after he was diagnosed. Like he became, you know, Hey, I'm not, I'm going up there. And that's all there is to it. It sounds like was his approach at that point. And, uh, and that maybe, does that kind of summarize your father a
6: little bit? Yeah, that was it. He got diagnosed and that's one thing he wanted to do. And he bought the canoes and he had a tumor on his hip and it split his bone. But, and he, that was like his drive. It kept him going. Like that was his goal. He's like, he's going to get up there and you know we were going to do the 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 trip in the in the boundary waters and then after it kind of went downhill for him a little bit we transferred that trip to a lodge that he could maybe get him on a a walker he had a walker so we'll get the walker to the canoe and we'll take him out in these canoes like it kept getting downsized a little bit more manageable for him but that kept him going you know like he was excited about that and He really wanted to go. (laughs) And
0: like I said, um, Eric, I know this is uh, really still very fresh and uh, you're just coming off off the trail. The trip's just ending, uh, you know, just the day before here when you stopped by and and to talk with us on the podcast and that there's a a lot of emotion. And uh, as I said, that you had recorded some audio uh, on the trip for us, which we just, Appreciate it so much, and Fallon uh, helped line this up, and and uh, that it it hopefully is going to keep this journey alive uh, far beyond just the trip itself. And so, with that being said, Eric, let's uh, hear from your trip from you in the Boundary Waters.
6: March tenth, five thirty a.m. Leaving the house, going to pick up my buddy Johnny. We're going to head to Ely, Minnesota for a little Boundary Waters Canoe Adventure. Something my dad always wanted to do, never got to. Wish he could make it there with us, but he's not going to be able to. Uh, passed away September 30th. And I miss him, but it's going to be a good time. I'm going to go in his memory. I make some good memories of my own. Bye. Okay, just arrived in Ely, Minnesota. We're here staying at the Canoe Inn. Met Nancy, the owner here. She's great. Beautiful beautiful weather. Really looking forward to this trip. Got all her stuff lined up and her ride. Just excited to be here. Saturday morning, May 11th, 2019. Just getting out of the hotel here up in Ely, Minnesota. Getting ready to start the adventure. Me and Johnny. It's going to be a good one. Excited. A little nervous, and uh, hoping we got everything together. Uh, yeah. Wish my dad could be here for all this. Gonna miss him. I can tell why you want to come up here now. It's really beautiful up here. Can't wait to see the lake and see the waters. Okay, first night in, May 11th. The Boundary Waters, Lake Isabella. It's windy, we're on an island. Beautiful stars. Gonna head out tomorrow, do some paddling. Go check out some of the area do some fishing, do some hiking. It's a beautiful area. And we're glad we're here. Very peaceful. Sunday morning. Happy Mother's Day everyone. <clears throat> Lake is like glass. Slept great. Ways put me to sleep. Sun's up, glistening over the lake. This is just like a picture. Gonna head out, hit some fishing today, see what the day brings. So peaceful out here. So peaceful, can't describe it. For anyone that's never been up here, I think you ought to make it up. Now I know why my dad wanted me to come up here. And he wanted to come so bad too, so I get it now. Never knew nothing about the boundary water before I came up here, I did my research before I got up here. And even all my research doesn't hold any justice to what this place really is. Okay, May 12th, Sunday, 2.30. <clears> me and Johnny went out earlier, tried to fish. We were jigging, we were anchored. The waves were getting bigger. We turned it around, heading back to camp. The waves were getting bigger, and our skills were tested as we tried to land the boat. With the bigger waves pushing us against the shore, it was a little scary for a minute. But we made it in safe, and uh, we're going back out right now again. Monday, May 13th. <clears throat> I'm just up, looking at the lake, looking at the seagulls' nest, thinking about it. What a beautiful place this is! On the way up, we talked to, to a girl named Taylor in Pragas. and she was explaining to us about all the mining they want to do up here. And I just can't imagine anybody wanting to do that. It's pretty awesome stuff up here. I hate to see it ruined. It's nice just to sit on a rock and relax and slow down. I can't wait to bring my family up here, show them all this. Today we're gonna head down the Isabella River. And right now the water's glass, but we've learned that that can change within five minutes up here. So hopefully it'll be a nice smooth trip. Gonna have a nice breakfast. I love listening to the gulls fight. They get ran off by the other breeding couples that are on the rock. Gonna do a little trolling down the river today too. Hopefully catch some more walleye, catch a short lunch. <clears throat> Sleep really good. It's awesome to wake up to the nice sounds of the birds singing. or ducks, whatever they all are, I don't know what they all are, but they sound good this is a tiring trip though I go to bed early really worn out so the older I get I know the harder this is going to get but I'm going to make sure I bring my boys up here and my wife shes they're going to love it hopefully I'll come back up in September I'm going to try and plan a trip up here for then yeah we're going to do a little little memory river trip today for my dad that's what he liked to do he liked to canoe the Kennedy rivers of Nebraska never made it up here but that was his big deal when he was younger, even when he's older he liked it so, we're going to hit the river today cruise on down I'm about to take a cool rinse off of some of this cold water too it should feel pretty refreshing it's going to be a great day Hope everybody down in town is having a good time. I can't believe the weather up here either. Sun, little bits of rain, but mainly sun. Couldn't ask for nicer nicer days. Everybody who lives up here is pretty lucky to have this in their own backyard. I'd love to live up here. There's Johnny over there making the fire, he makes the fire, I cook the food, that's how things have been going, worked out pretty good so far, hopefully packed up out of here by by 11, hit the river, we're gonna have some bacon, some eggs, some hash browns today, Last of our fresh food, and I'm gonna go take a little quick rinse off in the lake, freshen up alright well you definitely want to be in shape for a portage I'll tell you that it's a pretty good time it starts making you think about what to bring, what not to bring but went over there around the rapids 169 rods I think sweating pretty good a, a good, good thing for my dad to try, he'd have loved it Finally, a few people you want to come up here with. Real good friends, real good family, somebody you can really tolerate for a long time in the middle of the wilderness. All right. Monday night, long day of paddling. Didn't leave till late. Johnny found a nice campsite at about, I don't know, what was it 5 30? around 5:30, I talked about going down the next one we missed it so two portages later two hours later we finally found a campsite it was getting dark we were getting worried it was uh it's kind of hairy out here when the sun starts going down and you still haven't unloaded your boat so we learned a lesson today you know make sure you got your spot picked up plenty early. Learned how to do a bear hang today. Looking pretty good. It's good time, worn out, gonna sleep good tonight. I was a little stressful though when we were on the river. Not thinking we'd have a campsite. Brats for dinner. We got a resident beaver next door. Found a sweet little northern hole hammered on them for about an hour today. That was a blast. And uh, now we're heading to bed. Gonna get up early and head towards Baldy Lake tomorrow. This whole place is like learn as you go. We're learning a lot as we go. Well, it's Tuesday, about nine o'clock. Sun is setting, almost done. Beautiful sunset over here at Bald Eagle Lake. It was a long day today, rainy, cold, long portages. Had a pretty emotional day after some portage and just thought about my dad, why he wasn't there and wished he could have been here. I never even heard of the boundary waters before my dad talked of it, spoke of it and let me know where he wanted to go. And even on when he was in his dying bed, I let him know that I'd come up here for him, just as we planned. And I did. And I'm glad my buddy Johnny could be with me for that. So I had a few tears today, because I was thinking about him. But it's super peaceful up here. I really miss my wife. I miss my boys. Beautiful, waxing moon today, tonight. It was half full when we got here. Now it's 3 quarters. Pretty neat. Very peaceful. Tired, too. Going to bed here right now. These days wear me out. More so than being in town. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. I'm glad my dad spoke of this place. Because I've never even really heard of it. All I knew was some lake between... United States and Canada is what I thought it was. Didn't know it was anything like this. Oh, tired though. All right, good night. Okay, Thursday. Just did the one of the last portages, 123 rods, me and Johnny, out of the little gabbro. A little bittersweet. Gonna miss the portages. Gonna miss the packing up, unpacking of all our stuff. Miss the muddy, watery walks that we're walking back right now. Heading back to a little more civilization, you can tell. See more people. <clears throat> but it's been a good trip. I'm glad we got the time on the river when no one was there. And we'll check in later. Bye. Well, <clears throat> long day today. Again, headwind all day. Got a little lost, a little turned around. But, as long as you keep paddling, you always find your way. Found a cool spot up on a ridge. Quite a hike up to carry all your stuff, but beautiful hike. Beautiful view. Windy day today. Glad we <clears throat> headed towards our last day. Today, it took a lot longer than we expected. Gonna miss this place. But I'm excited to see my wife and my kids and get back to everybody. Uh, Learned a lot today and the whole week. It's been a great time. Great adventure. Sad but happy to go home. Good memories. Good pictures. Good stories to tell. And I can't wait to make more of them. All right, me and Johnny made it to the exit point 32. It was a long haul, a lot of work. Learned a lot for this week and how we'd do it different next time. What to bring, what not to bring. Did you have a fun time, Johnny?
2: Hell yeah.
6: It was, a good, it was a great trip. Glad I got to come up here. Uh, a little memory for my dad, see what he wanted to do. That was neat. Glad I got to bring my best friend Johnny with me and uh, have him here for it all. My dad would like that too. And beautiful country. I hope it stays like this. That's all I got.
0: All right. Well, we're still we're here with Eric Dickus, and uh, we just heard basically your trip. You took us on the trip with you, Eric, and and recorded that in the Boundary Waters. And a lot of emotion. It sounds like you guys uh, had some fun in there. Had some adventure, some wind, <laughs> some elements that uh, came yeah. up, and that's what a boundary waters trip is, particularly uh, in May, early May. You know when you when you made this trip. So I want to hear uh, a little bit more about your experience. You know, I mean, overall, would you say uh, just just from a, a recreation standpoint, it was a good trip? It was
6: a great trip. It was everything I dreamed of and more. Hmm. It was it was perfect.
0: Yeah. And what what about it? What was the what was the mystique or the lure, the the draw of the whole thing for you?
6: I mean, the second you got dropped off on that shuttle and leave you with your canoe, and your bags, and your you, no service on your phone or nothing for, and you know you got seven days to canoe, to make to, to your car, you're kind of cut off from the world. Like there's no help. It's just you, the boat, your your buddy, my buddy Johnny, and here we go. Yeah. And you're 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 turned off from civilization. And you know, that you, you don't know how many people you're going to see out there, especially so early we didn't know. And we didn't see many people. Mm-hmm. And uh you, you think hard, you play it safe. You don't, you think about, you don't take risks. It's very real. It's very raw and it's quiet. And you, you're just out there alone and that's it. Yeah, man. And
0: so, as I said, at uh, the beginning of the episode here, Fallon, your wife, I uh, found the W T I P Boundary Waters podcast, and it sounds like even uh, together, and sometimes even as a family, you guys were listening to these episodes and maybe painting a picture in your mind about what the area would look like and what it what would it feel like. Um, did it look? Feel was the size scope of everything the same different? How about just you know the land
6: itself? Oh, I listened to one of the podcasts where the the couple had tipped like two weeks earlier, so fallen out yeah, of the fallen canoe. out of the out of the canoe and. That that awakened my senses and my. I was like, "Well, this is a real the real deal up here." And we got out there in the. You look at the map every day. You know, I was looking at the map for for months. You know, like looking at this map and. Uh, it looks pretty manageable on the map, and then we get there, and it. The the burnt area, the, the you know, the, all the trees are gone, and all the islands. There's a lot more islands than there are on the map everything's different than that map. That map is just major landmasses we learned. And uh, I honestly never had to use a compass wherever I went. And uh, before, you know, the day before we left to the boundary waters, I made sure I knew how to read that compass and use it on a map. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad I did because that's the only way you get around out there is a compass. And hopefully you find a landmark and know where you're going. But the lake was way bigger than I thought it was going to be way windier than I thought it would be. And it wasn't like a little recreational lake. It was a, it's a big body of water, and it's wild. It's wild out there. Mm-hmm. It's nothing out. There's a grate to cook your food on, and that's it. And maybe a smooth-out camp tent site, and that's all you get. Yeah,
0: and then how about portaging? How was this uh, experience for you, portaging and, and navigating
6: uh, just the boundary waters itself? The porridges are hard to find sometimes, they're, but they're they're noticeable. You know, we were worried about that. You hear hear the rapids before you got there, so we knew a porridge was coming up, and it was— and people put the portage right before the rapids. Obviously, you know that, I mean, they don't want to carry this stuff any farther than they have to. And every portage on the map before we got there in Omaha, you know, I love my wife, Fallon. Thanks Fallon. (laughs) She's looking at the map. She's like, all these portages will be easy, you know, and 32 rods, 160 rods, 170 rods. Like it's not that bad, but when you got all that gear and you're going up the hill, through the mud, on the rocks, carrying a canoe, carrying your pack, it, it's difficult, but it was a challenge and it was worth it was worth it every time. Then you get on the other side of some of those rapids and fish. That was like the best thing ever, you know, and nobody's been down that river for a while it seems like and mm-hmm. it was nice yeah it was great
0: yeah awesome good well I'm so glad that you guys had uh, you know a, a, a variety of experiences it sounds like because that's typically what a boundary water trip should be uh, for people who get particularly uh, you know almost a week or a week like you guys were basically able to do and so let's talk a little bit more about uh, the roots of this trip we shared before and throughout your experience uh, the journal that you made audio journal here on the podcast uh, that this trip was largely about your father and dedicated to your father uh how much would, did that uh, enter your mind on an hourly basis uh, was it you know always just kind of in the back forefront of your mind where was uh where was your father on this trip with
6: you my father's in my in my heart you know in my mind a lot uh, but really when you're out there you got to focus on what you're doing and like the next best like the next thing okay camp tent fire you know get it, get it together. And my dad was always there with me. Like I, he popped my head a lot. Like, you know, what would dad be doing right now? If he was camping with us, you know, he would be doing this or, um, I, I wish he was there a lot. You know, I wish like people should like take the time to do the things with like the people you love when you have the chance. I think that that's
0: absolutely a, a takeaway that I had from listening, uh, just from the whole build-up to this, Eric, and, and talking with with Fallon and and, um, and and with you before the trip and now afterward. That um, that that's a, a key thing that you wanted to emphasize was uh, enjoy those moments with uh, with your loved ones while you can, do the
6: things you 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 want to do while you can. Yeah, a lot of talking happens with a lot of people, but actually doing it is the best thing to do, you know, just take action. And, you know, that'd have been a great trip for my dad to do. He, he would have really loved it. I think it's good for people's mind up there. like, even me, I get wrapped up in a lot of stuff at home and, uh, it, um, I feel settled down. I feel calm. Like I have like a little piece of serenity right now, you know, and who knows how long that'll last, but I do, I felt feel good. You know, no technology, no phone, no hustle bustle it's just a beautiful thing. But my dad was with me the whole trip and thought about him a lot, cried a few times, you know, thinking about him mm-hmm. and, uh, some good conversations, some deep conversations with my, my buddy Johnny, you know? And, uh, like he said, he goes, he, he goes, he was your dad knew you'd come up here. Your dad knew it. And, uh,
0: And uh so just lastly then Eric, you know, with now that the the trip's been done and I know there was a lot of, of build up and a lot of emotion that uh was still very much uh raw and in, in your heart and, and just you were experiencing a lot leading up to this trip. And now that it's been completed and here you are, you're safe, you're headed home to Fallon, the boys, uh, you're gonna hit the road here back to Nebraska. Uh, does this does this bring some closure? Does this help uh Help in any way with uh, with the loss of your father?
6: Yeah, it does. It brings closure and it opens like a new book for me and my, my boys and, uh, you know, my family that I want to go do things with now and not wait and just enjoy it. Like, it just makes you, it's different up here. It's just different speed. It's, it's a good speed. Yeah. It it's, uh, slows everything down. Makes you really think about what's important. You know, all the stuff doesn't matter. You know, you gotta have, you gotta have a good life, and you, all the all the all the hustle bustle, all the all the things that people save and keep, it doesn't matter. It's about more about memories. Like I could really care less about all the stuff my dad had, you know, right now, and when he he passed away, it's like that's what you think about all the stuff, you know. Like, and then you're looking at all the stuff, but I'm I'm glad I have the memories I have with him. You know, we were really close, especially towards the end of his life, and. Um, <clears throat> i just i'm just glad that i got to share those with them and uh, i can carry new memories on with my family that's what makes me want to do you know new memories of my family yeah man. closure and opens a new book both of those i'd say hmm. awesome well
0: we look forward then on that note to your next boundary waters trip hopefully with the boys and uh there's always a spot up here in the Boundary Waters for you, Eric. This is uh, this is great story. Thank you so much for for taking us on this journey with you, uh, both on the podcast for Matthew and I before the trip, and for now our listeners actually on your trip with you, Eric. This is uh, this is so this is incredible. I just can't thank you enough for the the time and and, and what you put into this, and and thank you to Fallon as well. And um, we've been talking with Eric Dick here on the W T I P Boundary Waters podcast, Eric. Thank you so much. Thanks, Joe.
5: Joe, that was a powerful conversation, uh, and I appreciate how you uh, were able to handle and sit with all of that, uh, all that emotion. And um, I'm I'm really grateful with that we got to hear all of that from Eric. That he felt like this podcast was a worthy platform to share such a powerful and personal story. I'm humbled uh, by the
0: gift that he shared with us, the fact that we got to go on this journey with them. Now, everybody uh, that listens here on the podcast is now a part of that uh trip. And I really do want to thank uh as Eric pointed out there in particular uh Fallon and her effort to line this up and make this happen. Uh, because, it, as we heard, it was really emotional for Eric and he was uh, going through a lot uh, this past year and for Fallon to say, hey, maybe this would be uh, an avenue to help, help my husband and for me to learn more about the wilderness. Uh, thank you to Fallon.
5: The whole process of how this came together has been so powerful and so much so, in fact, that one of our sponsors wanted to take time to acknowledge that here in the middle of the show.
0: I'm Bear Paulson from North Star Canoes. I can appreciate Eric's story. My dad introduced me to the BWCA at one and a half. Dad passed away almost 30 years ago when I was in college. I sought the solace of wilderness to ease his loss. On occasion, even now, when I'm alone in the wilderness, I talk to him. North Star Canoes are made in Minnesota by canoeists. We're proud to support this podcast, WTIP, and the Boundary Waters. And thanks, Bear, for sharing your thoughts there and, and to North Star Canoes.
5: You know, I'm realizing, Joe, that we've actually gotten quite a few emails from family members saying we should interview their family members. I mean, it's fun, It's really mm-hmm. funny how you know a lot of people sort of think about their own stories and, and may come to the conclusion that their story isn't worth being told or isn't um, podcast material, but uh, other people in a person's life may see it differently and so thank you to all of those uh, family members who have written in and connected us with your loved ones because you believe that their story really is as powerful as it is and is worth telling Uh, if you got a family member that doesn't have the confidence to write in themselves certainly undermine their personal authority and write uh, (laughs) to us at podcast at com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. And and what we're also finding out on
0: the podcast is that everybody does have a story to share. Uh, uh, any trip that happens in the Boundary Waters is typically, at least in our eyes, Matthew, is worth telling because they're all unique and interesting in their own way. Well, let's move into the second part of the episode, Matthew. That, you know, uh, Outside Magazine, uh, national publication, read far and wide, uh, international for that matter. And there's an article in a recent issue about the Boundary Waters, and you actually had the opportunity to speak with the author of that article. Let's hear your conversation.
5: It is my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Pearsons to the Boundary Waters podcast. Stephanie is a freelance journalist. She's reported from remote parts of the world, uh, including Bhutan, which is nestled between India and the Tibetan region of China, and Mount Everest. So some pretty epic places. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie.
4: Thanks for having me.
5: It's really our pleasure. Um, Stephanie, you've been featured in a lot of really uh, exciting publications, Outside Magazine, National Geographic, uh, Lonely Planet, Wired Magazine, Backpacker. Um but from what I know of you, your roots are pretty tightly held here in northern Minnesota, correct?
4: That is correct.
5: Can you tell us a little bit about your relationship with northern Minnesota?
4: Yes, I well, it starts actually way before I was born. My grandfather immigrated from Sweden to Tower, Minnesota, which is near Ely, and he he went there, you know, it was a logging and mining boomtown and he went there specifically for logging, but then he uh, was able to buy a farm, and he became a farmer very shortly after he arrived. And so, my dad's side of the family has lived up near uh, the Boundary Waters, or what eventually became the Boundary Waters, you know, most of his, well, all of his life. And then my dad bought a piece of property on Lake Vermilion, and, and my mom and dad built a small cabin, and it eventually became their year-round home. So. For many years of my life, that was my home base in Minnesota when I was not elsewhere in the world.
5: And you have spent a lot of time elsewhere. Uh, before we jump in more with the Boundary Waters and your relationship with that, tell us a little bit about. For anybody who doesn't know who you are and what you've been up to.
4: <laughs> well, I've been—I've actually been pretty uh, uh, right here in Minnesota for the last couple of years. My my father recently passed away which has changed my life a little bit um but my my life was really a travel writer i was an editor for outside magazine for many many years and i'm still a contributing editor and with outside i've my my focus was on reporting on very remote places so i've traveled quite a bit as you say and and to places that are wild and and you know oftentimes it would be places that are transforming like Colombia for example I I was there in 2012 right before the arc and the government had a peace accord so it was sort of a uh, a land in transition and and what happens w- when that happens like when c- countries go toward peace or when some big event happens so and just the the relation to what adventures you can have there as that is happening
5: yeah so you know, this whole idea of reporting abroad and reporting in some um, pretty, maybe we could say some pretty powerful transitions and circumstances. Um, And you've been to these amazing places, yet you choose to still come back and land here.
4: (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's, you know, Minnesota has, it's a special place. And the more I've traveled, the more I've realized how special it is. And the world's changing quickly, and I'm I'm a little sad about that. And I'm very focused on not trying to. I, it's, I I don't want things to not change in Northern Minnesota, but I would like to preserve what we have here, which is primarily fresh water and uh, you know beautiful wilderness. I think wilderness is essential to the human condition, and we're losing it very rapidly.
5: That is a a main emphasis for a lot of people right now in relationship to the boundary water this boundary waters this idea that change is happening uh what are we doing with it and I want to come back to that in a little bit because I think that's I think you have a really important perspective on that before we get into that um can we hear about your personal relationship with the boundary waters uh whether on stateside or the Quetico in Canada. Um, how did you get your start uh, kind of falling in love with the wilderness here?
4: <laughs> uh, my dad was very instrumental in that. He was a an outdoorsman from the beginning. And, and as I said, he, he spent most of his free time on Lake Vermilion growing up. And then obviously Lake Vermilion is connected to the west end of the boundary waters. And so as a kid, we started going into Trout Lake and pushing further that way. But he would lead... Canoe trips just completely you know bare bones canoe trips for kids. He was a minister, a Lutheran minister, and, and we would go in. I was probably three years old, and I'd go in with him for for a couple of day trips, and then you know we graduated to doing trips with his his friends and then it just became you know a ritual for my family and then in the in college, my sister started working at a at a camp called Wilderness Canoe Base up off of Seagull Lake, and so then a year or two later, I started working there through college, so I guided trips for kids um, through Wilderness Canoe Base, and then every year, my sister and I are one, a portion of my family, my dad, my sister, my brothers, my mom, we would, whoever was available, we'd try to get up to the Boundary Waters for family trips whenever we could, so it's, it's changed over the years, but it's always been pretty much an elemental part of my life
5: that's obvious in the 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 story you tell about how you keep coming back and you've come back and you you started there in this what sounds like a really special relationship with your father and your family how that evolved into sort of one of your first professions as a guide um and then continuing to let that relationship evolve with family continually we just spoke last episode on the podcast about the power of camps and how they help to create lifelong users of the wilderness, and it sounds like your world has interwoven with that in some pretty important ways. Yes. Yeah. What, what, when you came into this role as a young adult and, and guiding other even younger people into the boundary waters, what was that like taking kind of that responsibility role... Uh. <laughs> and being being the woman in charge there
4: <laughs> that's a great way to put it because that's exactly how I felt I always felt like it was sort of a joke like I couldn't believe they put that much trust in me uh, because it's probably more responsibility than I've ever had in my life since then because when you're out there you are the person who is responsible for these kids well-being and, and a lot of the trips that I was asked to guide were kids who hadn't ever before experienced the wilderness. They might've come through an, or a youth organization, you know, from, from inner city, Minneapolis. And, and so I would actually go down to the cities and pick them up and try to get to know them on the way up just to get a sense of how, how frightening this experience was for them. And, you know, some of them had never, had never been swimming in a lake. Some of them had never been swimming in a pool. And then to be asked to sort of go out on this adventure was a lot to ask of these kids. And they would be afraid of, you know, lions out there. They would be afraid mm. of sea monsters. I mean, it, it it was really interesting to to see what levels of experience these kids had. and And, you know, some of them, some of them had much greater levels of experience, but the good majority of them, this was their first big experience camping and, and paddling a canoe, and so it was uh, it was really rewarding in that regard. It was fun to see the transition from where they started to where they ended by the end of the trip.
3: Yeah,
5: that's a really powerful experience. You know, I did some trips like that out in California with um, youth from Oakland, and... I remember feeling a tremendous amount of responsibility as an advocate for the spaces to to yeah. help facilitate something that was more joyful than fearful. And right. so, it sounds like you relate to that.
4: Yeah, definitely.
5: So you, I mean, you've been, you know, in that role uh, with with youth. You've been, you know, personally traveling into the boundary waters, um, and and I know that you have some real interesting perspectives on the power of the wilderness. Uh, as we heard in earlier in the episode today, you know, the power that the wilderness has to assist in healing and in mourning loss. There are all sorts of reasons why people go into the wilderness. What are your personal reasons?
4: Um, I think it has a lot to do with that. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, before it, it was, Actually, sanity. I mean, I'm sort of an introvert, and I I need quiet, and I need I need that sense of peace that the wilderness has always given me, and I I grew up with it, and so it was always sort of there, and I took it for granted. And obviously, as the world evolves, I'm realizing I just can't take that for granted at all. Um, and then I I think again, working at Wilderness Canoe Base, I happened to be there when the director's wife died, and a week or two after the director's wife died, I, I was asked to take a trip with their daughters or one of their daughters, and that that to me was sort of the the firsthand experience of of what it's like to be to be in the wilderness with somebody who's just had an acute experience with death, and and that stuck with me as well. I mean, this is a place where people go to to really do some intensive healing, consciously and unconsciously. So it's just really powerful in that regard.
5: Yeah, and and I know that you also just recently went through your own loss, and uh, has the wilderness played a role in your process with that at all?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, the story I just wrote for Outside Magazine about my dad, um, it, it's not really about my dad, but uh, my sister and I go on a trip every year together, and a couple years ago we had asked my dad to go, and he he was able to go, but he just didn't want to hold us back. And, um, you know, because he was failing and he ultimately died of, uh, melanoma and, you know, this, this time away with, on this last trip was really a time to reflect on what, what exactly our dad had done for us in opening up the boundary waters to us. I mean, it's, such a huge part it's it's not only the boundary waters it's a perspective on how you live I mean the boundary waters to me was like Yosemite is to people who live in California or uh the coast of Maine is for people who live in Maine I mean it's that it was that opportunity and, and and so many people have told me that oh you know it's the Misal Valley in Washington or that place that their family had that was so powerful and it opened this, it was like a lock and key. It just opened their eyes to what's possible in the wilderness. And that's what the Boundary Waters was for me. And my dad did that for me more than anyone. And and I'm just so grateful for that.
5: I feel like words can't even really encompass what that means. And um, when I think about, you know, often when I talk about, the boundary waters of the wilderness. You know, when when I'm coming out or when I'm coming out with other people, I like to remind myself that we're not going back to the real world. We're leaving the real world, right? And, and that that's uh, that's one of the most important things that the wilderness gets to offer us is something that's 100 percent real, and it only ever reflects back to us what we're bringing to it, right? And, and so if you're bringing um contemplation and reflection and gratitude over the loss of a loved one that's going to be reflected back. Um Yeah,
4: if, that's a great way to put it.
5: And and so I would it would you be willing to share with us a little story about your dad and that uh and you and your dad in the wilderness in the boundary waters something that is special to you?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think um you know there's there are many. I I think the 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 sense of just joy my dad had from it and life in general. I, I remember the first time I, the one of the first big trips I took to the Boundary Waters, I had gone to a camp beforehand and I had packed my suitcase and I just threw everything from my suitcase into my, you know, Duluth pack and my dad didn't care what I had. I mean, he was my dad, not my mom, you know? So, so he, he didn't even pay attention to what I had, and so we were with some friends of his, and it was a big fishing trip, and I was probably in second grade or something, and I I had my nightgown, and I just got so ridiculed by my siblings and other <laughs> kids on the trip because I had my flannel nightgown on this trip, and I, I mean, I wore it, you know, I wore it, and I would... I would wake up early and I'd go out fishing, you know, off the point on our campsite and nobody knew I had this nightgown on. So I got up earlier than everybody else and I, and I was out there fishing in my nightgown. And that's the, that's a, something that's been, um, stamped on my memory forever. (laughs) Yeah. And and beyond that, like my dad was just, uh, you know, he would, he would try to scare kids, which probably isn't too politically correct to do today, but he would like he would shine flashlights on um those oh uh, on those spinners so they would look uh, like bears' eyes, and they actually yep. were really really very true to life and so I mean he had a number of kids who he took up there throughout the years who refused to go back with them because they <laughs> n not, not really but i mean he there were some funny moments around little things that he did like that, which um were. Really, sort of fun, and made it all the more sort of legendary and epic. I guess you could say.
5: Yeah, he sounds like a legendary and epic person.
4: Yeah, he's a good guy. Uh,
5: <laughs> uh, classic old school dad, too.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally.
5: You know, Stephanie, you're you're a journalist, and you I'm aren't. yeah, I'm curious ab- how the wilderness has. um, been a part of your your personal writing or journaling or um how combining those two things in the wilderness how that may look for you Uh
4: yeah I I have I've been one of those kids who kept a journal since I was probably six um you know my grandfather gave me my first journal and I've been doing it ever since and when I wrote this story about the boundary waters I actually went back to the journals that I kept when I was working up there and it amazed me how similar my thoughts were and and it also delighted me to find the specifics of 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 the details like the names of kids that I took on trips and their little personality quirks and what excited them and 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 it just it sort of sparked these memories that I frankly didn't know that I still had Um, and that for me is one of the things about about journaling it's it's like you have these very very gross you know large memories but the the specifics from my journals really have have put me in another place in another time that I don't think I would able be able to access if I hadn't kept those journals
5: Mm. yeah you know that really I feel like that's really connected to an element of what is so important to most of us about the wilderness uh, and the fact that it's protected is this idea that just like the journals, like you go back, and right. and it is there's this continuity to it. Um, yeah. There's there's a lack of development. There's this continuity of preservation. You know, other than you know, sort of some epic uh, events like a fire or the blowdown. Uh, for the most part, you come back and that site is in the same spot. Those trees are in the same spot, and at, for our human story, that's a huge part of what we value about the wilderness. And so, this idea of change and transition that you brought up earlier—that can—that's scary. I think
2: for us, yeah,
4: it's it's really scary. It's it's scarier, and I, I think it's so scary because it didn't even cross my mind. As a child, or even as a young adult, I mean, it—it's—it's it's only been in the last ten to fifteen years that the—that the thought that something may not be there, like the boundary waters, something such a foundation for my life. It, it just, yeah, it shakes you to the core, for sure.
5: I know that you are even now, I believe, actively involved around some efforts to. Um, preserve and protect and advocate for the wilderness what would you like to say to folks who are listening in regards to the importance of that that process and that involvement and and what people should know about the power powerful nature of that
4: i I think one of the things that I've learned in, in traveling around the world is that you know there are there are problems and issues everywhere and you know we have to we have to start somewhere and we have to start with what speaks to us. And, and you know, you can get overwhelmed with the fact that, oh, everything's changing and everything's, you know, going to hell. But I, I don't think that's, that's the case. And I, I just wish, you know, not to circle back to my dad, but one of the best pieces of advice he ever gave me is you have to take responsibility for yourself. And, and it's, I realized that I have to take responsibility for this wilderness. And, and we all do. And um, that's, I think that's the key point. And I think also not to be afraid. I think there's so much, so much division and so much uh, just controversy over this stuff is I I just wish it came up in my story. Somebody in Ely told me that he's 76 years old and he told me that one of the most frustrating things for him is there's just no dialogue between the camps, you know, the pro-mining and the anti-mining or the pro-wilderness camps. And, and he just said that that's, that's what's so hard for him is that there's just no dialogue. And I think that's something we have to figure out as human beings if we're going to survive on this planet. We have to have dialogue and we have to have compromise and we we have to be able to put each other in each other's shoes. And um, I, I hope that that can happen.
5: I'm really grateful that you've been willing to share Uh, a lot of your really important thoughts on the wilderness and your experiences and your sort of the legacy you come from with um, your family and their um, investment in the Boundary Waters. If there was one thing that, one moment, one place, one element of the wilderness that when you think of the Boundary Waters that pops into your mind, what do you know what that would be?
4: Oh, you know, it's funny. I would say, and this, I don't want to end on a sad note, but I, I used to love going into Jap Lake, partially because it was very difficult to get to. Mm-hmm. And it was such a reward to get there and there were limited campsites and the last time I was there it was like a different landscape and because there was a fire that had, you know, burned. It used to be like a mountain lake, a lot of relief, a lot of beautiful trees, a lot of you know, what you think is iconic boundary waters. And the last time I was there not only were both of the campsites taken, but it was, you know, completely treeless because of this fire and the blowdowns and, and it and there's new growth coming up and it was interesting because from the top of the Jack Jap Lake Portage we could see into Seagull Lake, which mm-hmm. I had never been able to do before, which was right. really cool. But in my mind I see the Jap Lake of old and that to me just this powerful image of what the
5: boundary Waters is yeah, and we get to sort of ride that wave of um, you know change and transformation that, that fire brings and so much of, uh, of what will come, the new beauty we won't get to see and, and right. in order to that, for that to be fully appreciated we've got to protect that and make sure it's there so that in a few generations they'll see that
4: yeah, no, so true
5: Stephanie, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Big thanks from Joe and I for sharing your time with us.
4: Yeah, thanks, Matthew. It was really nice speaking with you.
0: Matthew, I know a lot of people uh, follow Stephanie on social media, of course, just her name recognition in the journalism world and community is top tier as far as outdoor writers
5: go in this country. And um, what a gift to hear from her on the podcast. Yeah, and, and to hear from her a little bit more on a personal level, too. Sometimes it's easy to think that these uh, these journalists who you read their stories and they sort of seem larger than life, and to a certain degree, elements of their life are humongous, you know, mm-hmm. Reporting from the top of Everest is a pretty epic experience, um, but I really f- enjoyed. Getting to speak on a more personable level—it's um, always really nice to see the humanity in really public figures like Stephanie. Big thanks to her for that. Yeah, yeah, great job on the
0: interview, Matthew. Fun, uh, really a, a, a powerful episode that's uh, come together here, and uh, that's how we do this—is that it's people's ideas, people reaching out to us. The the whole idea of starting this podcast was to share stories. So um, as you said earlier in the episode, Matthew, if you've got a story to share of a trip you've done recently or know somebody who's done a trip, please do contact us, bwcapodcast at gmail.com. Definitely want to thank our sponsors today, Claire and Dan at Sawbill Canoe Outfitters. Uh, Always great to have them stop in and and, uh, share their stories about what's going on up in the woods. Great to hear from Sawbill Canoe Outfitters and North Star Canoes. Uh, Thanks for the help uh, making this
5: podcast what it is as usual uh everybody who's sponsoring this episode is often busy on their own adventures so the fact that you all took time to sponsor uh this podcast believe in this podcast uh, we really appreciate it and
0: with that in mind matthew if we could uh, when we were down at the midwest mountaineering expo in minneapolis in april 2019 uh, we met uh, somebody who's been listening to the podcast. Her name's Chelsea, Chelsea Lloyd, and uh, she's from Minnesota and very interested in music and uh, enjoyed uh, a number of elements. She told us about the podcast, mostly just talking about her favorite place, the
5: Boundary Waters. I believe uh, a quote from our conversation with her uh, went as such. I pay for uh, Netflix. I pay for uh Hulu. Hulu. So I realized I also want to put my money towards something I really believe in, which is this podcast. And recently, here we
0: opened up our inbox uh, for the podcast, and there was a gift from Chelsea that she sent to us in an audio file. And in closing today's episode, episode 18 of the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Uh, normally, right about now, we'd be hearing from Mr. Ian Tamblin and his song, Campfire Light.
5: Now let's hear from Chelsea Lloyd.
3: I like to sing, I love to dance, I play the fool if I got the chance.